0: Praise God, the Lord is with us, and the Lord is with us right now, speaking to us through his word, and blessing us, and reassuring us how much he loves us, and how much rejoicing that should cause in our hearts. We are, this is our first first Sunday of the month, we usually do, we have always traditionally done a different um, series that we just do on the first Sunday of the month. The rest of the weeks of that month, we do a bigger series. So, for example, last year we did, uh, the first Sunday, we did a series through the book of Ecclesiastes. And then the rest of the month, we did the book of John. And this year, uh, 2018, we're going to do, uh, this is what we're going to do. And the main, main part of the month will be in 1 Samuel, talking about the story of David ascending to the throne and all the beautiful pictures of Jesus and salvation that God has embedded in, the, in those stories, those amazing stories. but The first Sunday of the month, I feel like last year, when we did the first Sunday of the month, we, were all, we did the book of Ecclesiastes, which is all about God helping us to deal and cope with the reality that we live in a fallen world. And it was really kind of all about suffering and learning how to deal with suffering. And so it was almost like, really, last year for ResPrez was almost like the year of suffering. <laughs> We were just kind of focused on it a lot. And I know a lot of people were suffering things and maybe it was timely, but I was thinking it over and over again. What should we do for first Sunday for this year? And I thought to myself, You know what we need? We need some rejoicing up in here. (laughs) So I think this year is gonna be the year of rejoicing. And part of the way we're going to do that is the first Sunday of every month, I'm going to pick a passage that talks about rejoicing or enjoying God or delighting in the Lord or something like that or on our shorter meditation for the first Sunday of the month, something that talks about how many passages, how the New Testament is just full, just overflowing with passages talking about rejoicing in the Lord and that how that is our, that is our right to have that, even now as saints, and to meditate on that so that we can keep bringing it to mind and live into that promise that God has given us. So today we're going to talk about, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, which is just chock full, it's the most rejoicing, rejoiceful passage I could find in the New Testament to kick it off. And so would you please stand uh, as, out of respect for the reading of God's word as we read from 1 Peter. Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. Let's listen intently now to the reading of God's word. "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. For He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank You for this word that you have given us today, Lord. There are many various trials that we face in the world and we can be overrun and overwhelmed, Lord, but let us not forget the basic reality of who we are and what you have given us, Lord, that we are able to rejoice always in the gospel. We are able to always rejoice in the sure and certain knowledge of our future glory, We're even able to rejoice in our various trials, knowing that you are working them for our good and that they show us the genuineness of our faith. And we thank you, Lord, that you have also opened our eyes and given us spiritual eyes to see the reality of the eternal realm and that we can be assured that we even now belong to it, Lord. And these things should cause us to jump up and shout hallelujah or sing it or feel it in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, Lord. So I pray. I pray, God. I pray that you would do something special for us today and refresh us. Lord, we could try to work ourselves up into a frenzy, but it would go away. I pray that your Spirit would help us to see today, Lord, how beautiful the gift that you have given us is, how sure we can be that we absolutely do possess it and help us Lord to rejoice in the way your word calls us to do that and so we pray that we would see these things that we would see Jesus clearly in it that you would give us minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word in Jesus name amen please be seated let me tell you a story about somebody who thought they had it made but they did not this is, actually, this is actually a, star, a story of, of Billy Bob and Barbara Jean. <laughs> I thought about how I could turn that into that song, but um, I make a joke out of it, but obviously it's not working. So <laughs> let me just tell you the story of Billy Bob and Barbara Jean. True story, Billy Bob Harnell Harrell Jr., he won the $31 million Lotto Powerball jackpot in Texas. And he's a guy pretty much like a lot of us, a guy who was nearly broke a lot. He was constantly moving between low paying jobs. He had a wife. He had three kids to support. And the very first of his $1.24 million annual payments think about that. Think about coming into that. Every year, January 1st, cut you a check $1.24 million. Your problems would be over, right? Done. It'd be all good from that point. Anybody ever thought that? Be honest. <laughs> be honest. Uh, it seemed like the light at the end of the tunnel for Billy Bob and Barbara Jean, but instead it was the beginning of the worst year of his life. Started out joyful took his family uh, to Hawaii. He quit his job at the Home Depot. He was able to donate tens of thousands of dollars to his church. They're Christians. Anybody win the lottery? That's perfectly okay, by the way. <laughs> uh, he bought cars for his, and houses for his friends, for his family. He donated tons of money to the poor. Everything was going good. Uh, but all of a sudden... His lavish spending, let's pause and think about that for a minute, started to get out of hand. Started, he, there was a subtle shift from this makes me content and happy to now this will make me content and happy. And his lavish spending uh, started attracting unwanted attention. He had to change his phone number all the time because strangers were just constantly coming after him for money. He ended up making bad investment deals, he made a bad deal for getting a lump sum payment, he made bad investment deals so he got less money than he thought, he lost more money than he had, ended up in debt, piles of problems started to heap up, problems that he didn't even know even existed anymore that started to put so much stress on his family and his relationships and his life that his relationships, the true wealth of life started to split apart and break away And finally, about a year later, when Barbara Jean left him, it was the straw that broke the camel's back and his son found him dead inside the home with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The last person he spoke with was his financial advisor shortly before he died and he said his last words that anybody knows for sure are, winning the lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And you know the saddest part of this story is there are thousands, maybe hundreds, let's say hundreds of stories like them. I had a hard time picking which one I should use when I was searching for it because there are so many. I ultimately picked this one because it spoke of being joyful. They really thought Billy Bob was convinced that winning the lottery was going to mean for them never-ending joy. But it didn't. You know why? Why can't money buy us never-ending joy? It's because money or anything like it comes to an end. You know, oftentimes before you're dead, and then what? And if you place all of your hope in this perishable thing that can just as easily come as it could go, you're in grave danger of losing the source of joy and ending up despairing, which is exactly what happened to them. Well, here's the thing. This is what Peter says in this passage that I want you to know, that the Holy Spirit wants you to know. He says in this passage to us that the Christian has won a lottery that cannot fail. It's not a lottery that can rust. It's not a lottery that can be stolen. It's not a lottery that can go away with changes in the market. It's not a lottery that's got all sorts of unethical strings upon it. It's a lottery of spiritual wealth that is eternal and beyond anything that we can possibly ever imagine. And because of that, the foundational and enduring emotion of the Christian life can be should be never-ending, inexpressible joy. You believe me? After the year of suffering, is that too hard a claim to make? Well, let me try and prove it to you. Peter says there's three big reasons why we should rejoice. first one is because nothing can take away our treasure in heaven. The second one is is that our faith is the assurance that we have treasure in heaven, and the third is that we belong to the eternal spirit world now. Those three things. Let's look at each one, one at a time. First, nothing, the reason, first reason we can joi- rejoice, is because nothing can take away our treasure in heaven. Let me, allow me to just spell out what Peter is saying in the first five verses of this passage. I don't usually do like word for word, like Bible study, exegetical translations in, uh, in a sermon, but this is too good to not pass up. Let me just say what he says. Let me just point out and make, make obvious what he's obviously saying here, okay? Look at verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He's going to tell us. Because according to his great mercy, that's God's motive, because he loves us, he has caused us, that's causation, why is this happening to us? Because God has caused this to happen, motive, because he loves us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, there's the lottery but in this case, it's eternal life, joy, power, and glory. And that treasure of eternal life, joy, power, and glory is imperishable, meaning it is impervious to decay and corruption. Nothing can attack it, it is undefiled. Meaning it is pure and righteous and good. There aren't any weird unethical strings on it like the lottery being basically a massive tax on the poor. It's perfect. Perfectly ethical. And it is unfading which means it's not susceptible to losing any of its pristine quality or character and it is kept in heaven for you Meaning God is keeping it safe for us, not us. (laughs) How would you feel if you were keeping your treasure safe (laughs) for you? (laughs) You'd be in the same position that Billy Bob, or Billy, Billy and Barbara were in. But it's this treasure, this inheritance, is being kept for us by God. It is being guarded by God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. At some point in time, the trust fund is going to cash in when Jesus comes back and all of this is going to be ours. And what is it going to look like? 1 Peter 1, 1, 7, the second half of the verse says uh, that it's going to be found to result in our praise which means praise from God, God is going to praise us. God is going to praise us. Think about that shift of direction. It's going to result in glory, and the definition of that word means the condition of being bright or shining, brightness, splendor, radiance, a physical phenomenon. Think about the angels who appear. And it is going to result in honor which means it's like a, like a diploma, a right conferred upon you, a status given. And that status is child of God, eternal life, joy, power. And then he says, in this you rejoice. Not in the bank account, not in the car, not in the new girlfriend, not in the fame, Not in anything, anything that can so easily corrupt and decay and fall away, but in this you rejoice. And here's the thing: this is Peter's whole point about this. Is he's not saying, he's not saying, this is what may happen to you if you do this, 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 and this. He's saying, this is what will happen to you. God has caused this. God has given this to you because he loves you. Those are all the reasons that he's given. This is something that will not fail. And that's where we get it. We get it. Everybody. We don't have to even call out other churches that may get this wrong. In our hearts, we all get this wrong on Monday morning. We all wake up and forget this and we think, "Oh my gosh. I blew it. Totally blew it Saturday." And in the guilt and shame that washes over us, we say, I can't rejoice in that anymore because I don't don't know that I have it. That's not Peter's point. Peter's point is that you do have it. And how do we know for sure that we have it? How do we know? Maybe you're sitting here saying, how do I know? How do I know for sure? I messed up on Saturday. How can I possibly know that this is true for me? It's the second thing is, for second reason, we rejoice is because our faith is the assurance that we have treasure in heaven. What does that mean? I used my very first job was I, was I worked in a coin shop in Encinitas, and part of my work, part of my job was I bought bulk gold for people. People would come in; obviously, they're in dire straits. Usually, they've like dug out you know, gold from whatever they could find it. They've got, you know, somebody's old watch. They've got grandpa's tooth that was in a bag that somebody gave them. They don't know where he got it from. And they'd bring this pile of gold and they'd put it on the counter in front of me and they'd be sweating bullets waiting to see whether or not the gold, what they brought was really gold or not. And we would put it through a test. We'd do this test on the gold that would reveal it was a you know a stress test. We'd scrape the gold out across you know this sandpaper and put some acid on it and burn it, and then it would reveal whether it was real gold or not. And people would be sweating bullets looking at this because if it was real, if it wasn't real, they would be despairing. But if it was real, they would rejoice, right? So this is the same thing that's true about our faith and about trials. Listen to what Peter says now. This is what Peter says. Peter says, In this you rejoice, this is verse 6 and 7, although now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that, this is why, revealed by, this is why we are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You what he just said? He's saying, the trials, it's the gold test. It's the same thing. You may be sitting here sweating, thinking... I don't know, is the treasure mine? Do I really have an inheritance in heaven? Do I really belong to Jesus? I don't know. I feel like a big sinner. I've got shame and guilt overcoming me that I can't deal with. And God says that the tests, the trials that we enter into, that he brings into our lives, part of the reason for that is to test our faith, to show it to be genuine. The the word... uh, Trials, it means, it means to try to learn the nature or character of someone or something by submitting such to a thorough and extensive testing. <laughs> you feel thoroughly and extensively tested? <laughs> Amen. But the purpose for that is to figure out, for, for, to, for God to show you whether or not the gold is real whether or not the faith is real. and How do you know? It's the stress test. You go to a test and something awful happens. It could be something exterior, something totally outside of your control. Something awful happens to you. Uh, Awful things happen. You lose a job. You lose a relationship. You could have someone close to you that you love could die. You could get into really serious financial trouble. All kinds of things bad can happen. It could be internal trial. You could be, could be some sort of like sin that you hate, that you're struggling against so hard. You're covered. You just are overwhelmed with shame, the fact that it's happening to you. And you, this trial seems to never be ending. But what God says is if that trial happens to you, and you get, you're, you're in the middle of it, or get over with, or in the middle of the tension and stress of it, you don't cut and run, but you stay and you say, Praise God. It's all I got. I've got nowhere else to go. There is nothing else. There is no other treasure I want. Even if it's rough even sometimes it can feel like it is tearing you apart, but you do not cut and run, that is the gold that survives the test. That's the kind of faith that gets scraped across the sandpaper, that gets doused in an acid bath, that burns and bubbles up, and out of those bubbles comes praise for God. And what that means is that our trials, one part of our trial at least, is God letting us know that the faith that we have is real faith. It's not fake faith. We're not here to get something from God. We're not here because we, we want to use God like a genie and do magic with him to get our life plan accomplished. Our life plan gets torn away or big chunks of it, go south, and we still, we stay and we remain and we say, we, what I really want is God. What I really believe in is Jesus. What I really trust is the gospel. It shows that to us. And then if that's true, what that means is that our faith isn't make-believe. It's something that God has given us, and so therefore it is incorruptible. It will not be corrupted. And if that's true, that means the inheritance in heaven that we are waiting for is ours. We can be absolutely, positively assured of that fact. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. You know, Hebrews, Hebrews one eleven says this. I used forever would look at this verse and say, what does that mean? It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What are the things hoped for? The treasure in heaven. That one day we are going to stand before God and he is going to praise us. He is going to to give us glory and he is going to honor us with the status of eternal beings, children of God. Our faith, that we have faith through trials is the evidence that that's true for us. So if you have gone through various trials, (laughs) if you have, it seems like uh, you have gone through, you have been submitted to thorough and extensive testing and you come out on the other side of it and you still believe and you say praise God, then that is evidence that your faith is genuine and it is cause for you to rejoice. In this we rejoice. And it also means that we have in that, if that is true of us, if that faith has been given to us by God, it means that faith... among other things, is the ability to discern and see the reality of the spiritual world that surrounds us. So it means, part three, that the third reason we are able to rejoice is because we can know that we belong to the eternal spirit world now. I have a friend that was telling me about a dream that she had a little while when she was 14 years old. A dream that she had where she... Had a dream, went to heaven, saw the saints, uh, and part of the dream, part of the dream was that she saw all these colors that, she, that, that didn't exist, all these colors that she had never seen before, right? That's a dream. Who knows what that is, right? But, but that's kind of reality. There's, there's truth in that. Because do you, who can tell me what percentage of the spectrum of light are we able to see? Anybody tell me? Anybody know? Any of you physicists out there? Here it is. This is the percentage of the spectrum of visible light that we humans are able to see. (laughs) 0.0035%. That ain't much. (laughs) 0.0035%. What is that? three hundredths of a three thousandths, three and a half thousandths of a percent. It's like this much. But all the light that exists that we cannot see, part of creation is miles in either direction. And what that tells us is that most of reality We can't see. And that's Peter's point right here. That's what Peter's trying to say at the end. Look at verses 8 and 9. He's saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, if that is happening to you, it means that the outcome of that is The salvation of your souls. It is evidence. Peter is not saying, even though you have not seen Him, the ultimate test of reality, you love Him anyways, how quaint is that? You silly Christians. He is not saying, even though you do not now see Him, the ultimate test of reality, you believe in Him. No, what He's saying is, what we don't see is the majority of the created world and the created order And if we are able to if we believe in him, if you believe in Jesus, meaning, not that you believe he existed, not that you believe he was a man, not that you believe that his teachings were good and true, but that you believe that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to purchase your salvation and he gives it to you as a free gift. If you believe in that and trust in that, it means that you, that is evidence that you have the Spirit of God inside of you, which means, and, 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 and it is manifesting itself in the, in the ability that, to be capable of spiritual sight. You can see the unseen world. And it says, if you love Him, meaning if you've experienced this overwhelming sense of gratitude at that sacrifice, It means that that is the evidence that you have the spirit and it is the evidence that you now belong to the eternal spiritual realm. That is your place. We are shadows walking through the valley of death and this is not our home. But we belong even now to a greater city a city that we cannot see, but that does not mean it's not real. It is realer than anything we know. Jesus said, that is exact same John 5:24, Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life. Past that point, if you could lose it, wouldn't be very long eternity, would it? No. It's either eternal or it's not. And he says, if those things are true of us, if we believe, if we love him, we have eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And if that's true... You should rejoice. You hear me? You hear me? You should rejoice. Now, I get it. We all have a joy disorder, <laughs> meaning we tend to try to make some earthly thing the source of our joy. And to that exact extent, do we rob ourselves of the kind of rejoicing that God would have for us? And I'm not saying get your stuff together and, and 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 don't do that. It's a condition of the fall. It's true for all of us. We have. This is why we come to church every week. And I don't tell you. I don't give you a seven, you know, point list of things to do to go be a champion for Jesus this week. You already know you're failing at that. We come here to we hear about God's forgiveness, God's love for us, His unextinguishable passion. To see us through to the next realm, so that we can be reminded, I have a joy disorder, and I need to reset my focus on the only thing that can truly bring long-lasting, eternal, never-ending joy. Let me. and, and, And here, this is what he means by that. This is what he means when he says rejoicing. Let me. Let me explain what he's talking about. The word rejoice, Greek word, uh, agaliao, it means this. Here's the definition, okay? To experience a state of great joy and gladness, often, not always, but often, involving verbal expressions and appropriate body movements. That's out of the Greek dictionary, folks. Just saying. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. So look, I get it. If you're one of those brothers... And when you get up to worship, the inside of you is just a fire of spirit, passion, but on the outside, you are calm, still waters. (laughs) Praise be to God, get down with yourself if that's how you worship, all right? But if that's not you, if you feel like expressing your worship with appropriate body movement, with verbal expressions don't ever let anybody tell you you can't. Because Peter says you can. Amen? Okay. So are you suffering from a joy disorder? I am. Remember that you have won the spiritual lottery and that no one and nothing can take away your treasure in heaven. Are you sad about various trials? I am too. Remember that they are God's blessing to you. He's given them to us to shape our character into Christ's likeness, to break our brutal addictions to things of the world and to show us, to evidence to us the fact that our faith is genuine and that the promises that God has made of praise and And glory and honor will absolutely become true. And if that's true, that's our baseline reality. We don't have to sweat the small stuff. And everything else is small stuff. And if your faith is genuine, if you have been given the supernatural ability to see the reality of Jesus in the eternal world, then rejoice with inexpressible joy. make noise, stand up, rejoice with appropriate bodily movement. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Uh, Because it means that you now belong to the eternal spirit world and that this is just the beginning. Our future from here forward is a trajectory from glory to glory as God beautifies us as he has promised in his word, until one day we, all this will disappear, we will be before the Lord, and he will speak his praise to us. We will be changed into glorious creatures of light, however that plays out, I don't know. But it will be better than what we think. And he will confer upon us the honor of beloved children and eternal beings. And there we will be. So rejoice. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you that you've given us astonishing promises, Lord. Lord, we pray for those brothers. We pray for those friends and family that we know. who cannot see the glory and are instead choosing things of corruption and death instead of the amazing promises that you have given to us, Lord. We pray even for members of our own church who have walked away from you in favor of some trinket that the devil has paraded in front of their face that will go away like a vapor. We pray that you would restore them and give them an eternal hope that cannot fade. And for us, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not ignore the various trials that we're in and the the hardship and the sadness that it causes your word. Even this chapter talks about real sadness. But let that not be the defining character of who we are, Lord. Help us in our joy disorders to reestablish, to, to turn our, our affections, to turn our affections away from the things that our broken flesh cries out for, for the things that the devil tempts us with and, and to sit with you and to be with you. Help us to refocus all of our affections on things above, on the beauty of Jesus so that we might continually remind ourselves who we are and that your Holy Spirit would bring us A sense of rejoicing. Deep waters of rejoicing that remain with us even when the surface is stormy and impetuous. Lord, help us to be a people this year that rejoices in you and in your goodness and let us make you known everywhere you would send us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.